Lord, that's, uh, that's what we're gathered together today to do, is to uh, glorify you and lift up your name uh, through music together, even uh, over uh, the internet, through preaching together over the internet, and communion together. So thanks for setting that all up so that we can remain a family. Lord, we're looking forward to the day where we can get back together, trusting you through all of this, lifting up the name of Jesus through all of this, watching in anticipation to see what you're going to do through all of this. We just love you and praise you, and it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you all remember or not, last spring when we had all the, the floods and the rain. In fact, it got so bad, one day here, we closed the preschool early because there was only one way in and out of the church. In fact, we barely got home. Uh, 48 even flooded last year. And Angie's car, we couldn't get home. But anyway, I guess it got so bad in Orange County last year and lasted so long that they actually sent a reporter down to do the story on site, and he was in a boat. And uh, he was going around looking at the devastation, writing up a story. And he actually did a rescue. He found a woman who was caught on a roof of a house. And uh, he went up to the rescue, got up on the roof and sat down with her. He said, now, how long have you been here? And she said, I've been here a day and a half. Can you imagine that? He said, what in the world have you done with all your time? She said, well, I've just been sitting here watching and waiting. And he said, as he was taking her story, they, they were watching and a chicken coop floated by the house. Isn't that crazy? And he said, pretty soon, then a horse floated by the house, and, and then a Volkswagen Beetle floated by the house. And he said, then he saw this hat float by the house. And it, it went by the house and went down about 20 feet past the house, and it stopped. Went back upstream. And it went right down past the house again, stopped, and went back upstream. He said, I watched that, I don't know, eight or nine different times. He finally looked over the lady and he said, ma'am, do you not have any idea what this hat's all about? She said, yeah, that's just my husband. He said he was going to mow the yard today, come heck or high water. <laughs> Come on, man, you know that's good. Well, does anybody uh, out there uh, like me have had a little more time on your hands uh, the last several weeks than normal? It's bizarre, isn't it? All the free time we've had. And, and on the one hand, uh, we've had all this time to watch the news and all the different conspiracy theories and all the stuff coming and going. In fact, I put a Facebook uh, post last week, which is, again, a sign of how bizarre the times are, that I would post something on Facebook, and Angie's Facebook page, but if you watched it, I, I was reminding everybody how uh, it's all fake news. Everything we're getting in because everybody's got an agenda behind it. But what I've been marveling at lately is watching how people are fighting over this stuff. I mean, people that otherwise love each other are fighting back and forth on Facebook about this. You ought to wear a mask. Are you stupid? You shouldn't wear a mask. This is all fake. And they're killing. This stuff is killing people by the thousands. No, it's not. They're, you know, they're making this up. $14,000 every time they write down a COVID death. You ought to go to the beach. Are you crazy? You've got to go to the beach. You get the sunshine, vitamin D, and the microbes out of the, uh, the ocean and that kind of thing. Man, you ought to stay put. No, you ought to go. Uh, you know, they're trying to kill us. No, they're trying to save us. They're trying to disrupt the economy. No, they're trying to save the economy. Back and forth it goes. And, and then you get into the deep conspiracy theories. I won't even mention those. But the good thing about all this is it has reminded us, or at least should have reminded us, that you and I only have one source of real truth, and that's the Word of God. And we ought to be in that. And so if you're wondering whether you should wear a mask, whether you should go out, whether you should buy or sell, then you ask God. You don't ask Nancy Pelosi. You don't ask Donald Trump. You don't ask Jimmy Kane. You go to the Word of God. So that's been a good thing. On the other hand, we've also had quite a bit of time to be with ourselves lately. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that's not a good thing because sometimes we don't like ourselves too much. And when you get to spend a lot of time with yourself, all of a sudden you're finding out, man, i got some habits that aren't all that good. 
I got some hurts that aren't real good, and I got some hang-ups from the past. It's crazy stuff. And I'll tell you something else that happens when we spend a lot of time with ourselves. We start being reminded of a truth that we don't normally think about under normal circumstances, and that truth is this. Everybody's got hang-up hurts and uh, habits. You know, the people you're arguing with on Facebook, the people you're fighting with at home, they all, none of them are perfect either. And so we're living in an imperfect world. And again, the good news is, with all this time on our hands and the reminder that we should be in the Word of God, then we can use this time to correct some of those things and make some changes, to get rid of some habits, to get rid of some hurts and hang-ups and to love on each other the way we should. That's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. Now, the first thing we've got to do is get past the denial stage. You know how that happens, where we start accusing each other and, and, and excusing ourselves because we're always right. You know, that's what happens on the Facebook. I'm right, and you're wrong. And so we start fighting. That's the way it goes. And, and, and we've got to break through the denial and, and understand we're not always right. And sometimes we make mistakes. You know how we play that game. If she would just pay more attention to me like she should, I wouldn't have this computer pornography issue. We'd have good marriage. Well, if he would just be more attentive to me, I wouldn't have done what I did. If he'd do that, I would do this. If she'd do that, I'd stop doing that. And so back and forth we go, we blame each other, and we excuse ourselves. That's denial. And if we're going to change some things and grow up, we've got to get past the denial stage. I'll give you a good example. If you live in Egypt and you refuse to admit that, then I say you're living in a state of denial. I mean, denial. Well, how do we fix this problem? In other words, how do we finally face some of these things and change them up? Well, you're not going to like the quick answer because the, the, one of God's best antidotes for beating denial in our lives is pain. Yeah, that's right, pain. Because the truth is you and I rarely change when we see the light. We don't normally change until we feel the heat. In other words, we don't change until the fear of change gets overshadowed by the pain of not changing. And so God works different uh, denial busters in our life to make that happen. And and one of the first ones he uses is crisis. And we all know what a crisis is. A crisis is an unexpected illness or job loss or marriage problem. It's when this uh, amazing amount of of stress gets dumped in your life. I mean, we're in crisis mode right now with this pandemic garbage going on all around us. And God will use a crisis sometimes to get our attention. I think he's used this to get a lot of people's attentions, to be truthful. Sometimes God will use confrontation to uh, break through denial. You know, he'll send somebody who loves us enough and is courageous enough to say, hey, man, you're blowing this. You're you're messing things up, you know. And if you you don't fix things pretty soon, you're going to lose your marriage, you're going to lose your reputation, you're going to lose your health, you're going to lose your job. And so he'll send somebody to confront us. And then the third thing God will use is uh, catastrophe. And, And I'm praying to God he doesn't cause any of us to have a catastrophe, because I'm telling you, that's when you hit rock bottom, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. You hit bottom hard, and God does that sometimes. Sometimes he allows us to feel the full impact of our silly decisions, and he says, hey, if you want to play God, go ahead. Good luck with that. And so he steps back and lets us take on the role of God, and it never works out good. We're always reminded that we're not God. We're always reminded you do reap what you sow. And so uh, the first thing is we've got to admit that we're powerless to control things that are going on around us. We can't control this. We're powerless to correct change in our life that we want to do while we've got this time. 
That, that's called the reality step. The step I want to talk to you about is the second one. It's called the hope step. And that's when we realize that there is a power available to each one of us. And there is. And I call that good news, wouldn't you? In fact, turn to the person on your left right now and tell them that's good news. Okay, now, turn to the person on your right and tell them that's good news. Now, South Union, you know how we play this game. I want you to look right into the TV set and in your best Elvis voice say, that's good news, baby. So, I mean, it is good news that you and I have a power available to help us handle this situation that we can't change and help us change ourselves in the situation. It's good stuff. Now, our text this morning is Hebrews 11, verse 6, and it reads like this. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We got to uh, believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, there's three main ideas in this text that I want to share, and then we're going to take communion together. And here's the first one. You and I have to simply acknowledge the existence of God. That's point number one. You say, come on, Cain, is that all there is to point number one? That's it. It sounds pretty easy. And most of us, if not all of us listening this morning, don't have any problem believing in the existence of God. In fact, if I had you here this morning and could look you in the eye and say, hey, do you believe in God? Most of you would say, what are you smoking, man? You've been driving. I mean, I'm, I'm up in the morning watching you on TV. Why in the world would I do that if I didn't believe in God? Well, you got a pretty good point. And the truth is, there really aren't very many atheists left on the planet anymore anyway. At least not in the United States. According to the most recent George Gallup poll, 96% of Americans believe there's a God. Only 2% of Americans today say that they're atheists. And that number's a whole lot down uh, from, I don't know, 50 years ago anyway. And by the way, do you know why the number's down uh, 50 years later? It's pretty simple. We've learned a whole lot more about the universe in the last 50 years. The string theory and all that stuff. And oh my goodness, the more we learn, the fewer people are willing to stick out their necks and say, oh, this just all happened by chance. Because that's crazy thinking. The more we learn uh, about the creation, we realize there had to be a creator. The more we see about effect, the more we know there had to be a cause. You know, the more we see uh, uh, this design, we know there had to be a designer. We're just, we're getting that finally. But the Bible said it all along. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. And come on, man, we know. You just look outside and see God's there. You go to the Grand Canyon, tears well up in your eyes. You could see the redwoods for the first time. It takes your breath. I mean, it really does. You get to see the ocean. You think, man, this is gorgeous. And if you're too afraid to do that right now, you don't have time or the money to do that right now, then just step outside tonight and look at the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. We've been singing about it. You just look at the stars, and there it is. In fact, the Bible says, uh, it, only a fool says there's no God. It's foolish. It, it's it's uh it's irrational. It's illogical. Only an idiot. Okay, the Bible didn't say that. I went a little far. Only somebody who's a fool would believe there's no God. And again, most of us listening today, most of us don't have any problem with that. I think the issue, the real issue for us is what kind of God is he? Who is this God that we really serve? Because over the years, we've come up with some real strange ideas about who God is. Always loved the story of these two Catholic kids in Catholic school that were just terror, man. They were always in trouble. And finally, it got so bad, they called him into the principal's office. And, and he had one end at a time. He left the other one outside. And he set the kid down in a chair, and he pointed his finger at him. He said, where is God? 
Now, he's trying to get the kid to understand, you know, that God's everywhere and he's watching you. You need him in your life. The kid's scared to death. He just wouldn't even speak. Son, I ask you a question. Where is God? He asked him three or four times. He wouldn't say anything. He said, you go out and sit down in the hallway and you think about that question. You send your buddy in. So he went out in the hallway and he said, he wants to see you. And he said, are we in trouble? He said, it's worse than I thought. It appears God is missing and they're trying to pin it on us. Folks, we, we, we got some pretty strange ideas about God over the years. And I think a lot of times the reason for that is we, uh, you know, sometimes subconsciously equate God with our parents because that's what we see and that's what we're used to. And, of course, the problem with that is if your dad was unloving and uncaring growing up, then you're going to see God that way. If your mom and dad were abusive to you growing up, then you're, you're going to think God's abusing you. You know, if, if your mom and dad... Uh, or uh, if you're afraid of them growing up, you're going to be afraid of God. And on and on and on it goes. And so what happens, instead of God creating us in his image, over the years we've kind of created God in our image. And that just doesn't work out. So it's, it's not enough to acknowledge God exists. Number two, this is point number two, we need to understand God's character. That's important. Listen, there's a big difference between knowing who somebody is and really knowing them. I know everybody, everybody listening today knows Donald Trump. You know who he is. But none of you listening today really know him. You know what I mean? You, you just know what you hear. You've not been to his house. You don't know what he's living through. You, you know, you've never been fishing with him or golfing with him, never had dinner with him. So it's hard to trust somebody you don't know. Well, think about God. How in the world can we trust him with our body, soul, mind, and spirit if we don't even know who he is? That's why, fortunately, he wanted us to know who he was, so he sent his son to earth 2,000 years ago to live and walk among us and then to die for our sins. And in fact, it split history in half, A.D. and B.C. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, he's the exact image of the invisible God. In other words, if you've seen Jesus, then you've actually seen God. And so for you and I, we read through the Gospels during this time that we have right now, and, and we watch how Jesus walked, and how he talked, and, what he, and how he treated people, and all the things he did. We actually get a good picture of God. Now, there's three big things that I want to talk about this morning that will kind of help us towards this change deal. And, and number one is we learn that God knows all about our situation. That's huge. He, he knows everything. He knows our habits. He knows those hurts. He knows those hang-ups, things from the past. He knows the things you're arguing with. He, he knows that some of you have had a bad week, and some of you have had a bad month. Some of you had a bad year. Some of you have had a bad life. He knows. Psalm 56, verse 8, I love this. Since you know how troubled I am, you have kept a record of my tears. Isn't that incredible? I've always loved the way the King James Version reads that. He keeps our tears in a bottle. God does. He has your tears in a bottle. Listen to this from the message version. You have kept track of my every toss and turn through sleepless nights. Each tear has entered into your ledger. Each hurt has been written in your book. That's the God we serve. We say, nobody knows the hell I'm going through this marriage. Wrong. God knows. Nobody knows how hard it is for me to stop this habit, to stop this addiction. You have no idea how hard this is. I don't, but God does. Cain, there's no way you can understand depression. You, you, you've got it so good, you have no way you can understand this. I know I can, but God does. And he knows. He's kept a record of your tears. He knows. And I, and I love Psalm 31. It says, you've seen the crisis in my soul. 
come on, family. Who else knows the crisis in your soul but God alone? Oh, he knows. And then Psalm 69, verse 5 says, How foolish I've been, O Lord. Oops. And sometimes we forget that part. He knows the foolish things we've done, too. We're singing that God is everywhere. He is everywhere, 24-7. He's watching us all the time. He's in this place. We, we sang him in this place, but he was already in this place. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows the good things you've done. He knows the bad things you've done. Anybody listening today made any mistakes in the last week? Raise your hand. I wish I could see them. I bet they're up. Anybody listening today sitting next to somebody who's made a mistake in the past? Uh, now I know all the hands are up, right? See, God knows. He knows when we goofed up, when we made bad mistakes, and he still loves us. Is that amazing? And, but there's better news than that. Number two, he cares about our situation. He not only knows about it, he cares about it. Psalm 103, verse 13. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed and remembers that we're dust. He, he knows what we're made of. Listen, with all this stuff going on and you trying to get along with the kids and do all the stuff you're supposed to do, God knows you're not Superman. He knows you're not Superwoman. He's tender and compassionate. That's the God we serve. It's amazing how much he loves us. He, he, he knows he wants to be our father. He's got a picture of you on his refrigerator. He loves you constantly. In fact, he says his love is everlasting. How in the world can he do that? How could God love us all the time? I mean, when we're serving, when we're not serving. When we're praying, when we're not praying. When we're acting good, when we're acting bad. Some of the things we do, how can he love us anyway? Because he loves us unconditionally, that's how. In fact, this would be a, probably a good point, uh, at least be okay at this point, to think like a parent or a grandparent. I'm thinking about me, for example. At my home, I've got pictures of my kids and my grandkids all over the house. And I don't take them down when they've done bad and put them up when they've done good. That would wear me out. (laughs) No, they're up all the time. And you know why? Because I love them all the time with an unconditional love. And I'm very imperfect. Our perfect Father in heaven loves us unconditionally. The Bible says it has nothing to do with performance. It's all about his character, and we need to know that. See, the Bible doesn't say God has love. The Bible, the Bible says God is love. That's his essence. And he says, I will love you with a love that's forever and ever. In fact, he proved it by sending his son to die for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Number three, God can change me and my situation. Now, come on, that is good news, isn't it? And sometimes he does. Sometimes he changes me. Sometimes he changes the situation. Sometimes he changes both. But in each case, he's waiting for us to to climb on board. That's why Paul says, I pray that you'll begin to understand how how incredibly great his power is to help those of us who believe him. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Bible says. That power is living inside of you. Now listen to me. If God can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he can do anything. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can heal a broken marriage. I've seen it. If he can raise Christ from the dead, he can heal cancer. I've seen that. If he can raise Christ from the dead, he can help somebody beat an addiction. I've experienced that. If he can raise Christ from the dead, he can help you with your hang-ups and past memories and all those kinds of things. Listen to Luke chapter 18, verse 27. What's impossible for men is possible with God. In In fact, the Bible says nothing is impossible for God. So you're thinking, Cain, you don't understand my situation. It's impossible. I mean, I tried to change. I, I cannot. It's hopeless. I just read to you, family, that nothing's impossible for God. So that hopeless situation you're in is not hopeless at all. I mean, come on, man. I've been in ministry almost 40 years. 
And I've seen person after person that were in no win, impossible situations, no way out circumstances just six months ago and four months later, God's changed everything. Everything's good. I've seen it in this church. I know you have too. Over and over and over again. We can get through this. These challenging times. We just got to believe that he exists, okay? We got to understand his character, that he knows and that he cares. And and then number three, you just got to take him up on his offer to help. I mean, that sounds so easy, but sometimes it's hard to do. We think we can do it on our own. He wants to help. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For God's at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purposes. He gives us his will and his power. You mean, are you kidding me? Listen, our willpower is not enough. Good intentions is not enough. We need God's power to get this done. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It's a passage of Scripture that if you've been here very long at all and you've come up to the altar to pray after the service and you've got something going on in your life, I've probably prayed it over you because it's one of the greatest promises that we have in the Word of God, in my opinion. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. You do not have to be afraid of the coronavirus. You don't have to be afraid if the government's trying to get us with this. You don't have to be afraid of cancer. You don't have to be afraid of eternity. You don't have to be. We do not have the spirit of fear. Instead, he's given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And I want that in my life. I mean, don't you? I want, I want the power of God in my life to change the habits that I've found out over the, the, the last few weeks that I have, some of the hurts that I, I need to fix, some of my hang-ups. I want the power of God in my life to live the way he wants me to live. I want the power of God in my life to love people the way he wants me to love them and to love him the way he wants me to do that. I want that in my life. And listen to me, once we realize we have that power in our life, we don't have anything to worry about. We start to see everything works together for those who love him, and everything works out, all the challenges. I, I'll give you a real goofy example. I didn't know whether I was going to do this or not, but I will. But it's, it's just funny how God is in the details. Most of you have, uh, that know me for a while know that um, the, the, my best car ever was this little convertible I've been driving for eight years now, and it's 13 years old, and Mike Wilson had it for a week and couldn't get the top to work, so now I've got a convertible, the top won't go down, and it's got 160-some thousand on it, and it was just time. And so last Thursday, I'm praying, and I'm praying over you all, I'm praying over uh, the nation, I'm praying over people I have specifically, and in the midst of it, I said, Lord, I know this is probably selfish and maybe even a little crazy, but could I have another convertible? That was Thursday morning. Thursday afternoon, I talked to Kent Goldman about something completely unrelated. And he just happened to have, now they quit making my Sebring. They quit making it eight years ago. He happened to have an eight-year-old Sebring. Last year they made him. It came from a little old lady in Jefferson, Kentucky. One owner had 36,000 miles on it. And it's in mint condition. It's sitting out in the parking lot right now. God did that for me. I mean, he orchestrated the details. He said to this little lady eight years ago, oh, yeah, you can have this new car. And by the way, you can only have it eight years because I'm going to give it to Jimmy Kane. God's in the details, man. If he can do that with a car, think what he can do with your kids, with your finances, with your health, with what's going on in the nation, and more important, with your eternity. He's got this family. We don't have the spirit of fear. Now, most of you know I'm not a, tech, a technology guru, 
But I do know the one principle that guides the universe. It's pretty simple. Things work better when they're plugged in. My toaster works better when it's plugged in. My TV gets more channels when it's plugged in. My computer, even though I don't work real well with it, it works better when it's plugged in. And it's the same thing with you and I. We've got to plug into the true power source, which is Jesus Christ. And then we're not just going to survive this thing. We're going to thrive through this thing. I'm going to read one more scripture to you, and then we're going to take communion together. It's from uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. I love this. It reads, when you go through deep water and great trouble, I'll be with you. You will not drown. You will walk through the fires of oppression, and you won't be burned up. Would you say we're in flooded waters right now? Do you think there's some oppressive fires burning throughout the world? Listen to this from the message version. When you're in over your head, I'll be there for you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you get between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am your God, your personal God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and I pray to paid a huge price for you. Family, God's got this. Look for the joy in this. Look for the instruction in this. Look with joy to the anticipation of getting back together, hopefully in a couple of three weeks. And in the meantime, just tell the Lord, oh my goodness, I know you exist. And I'm learning more and more about your character, that you care, that you know, that you love. And Lord, I desperately want to plug into the true power source, the true vine of Israel, Jesus Christ. Father, this morning as your family, we thank you so much that we don't have to worry about anything. We apologize to you when we do. You told us very carefully, very clearly, to cast our anxieties before you. So if we're worried about something, you want us to talk to you about it and then watch you and listen to you. You're such a great God. And now we come to this table remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ who made it even possible for us to pray to you, to come to you. And we just can't thank you enough. You're a great God and we love you so much. We pray you're glorified through this. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen.